Hello and welcome to Obsession, where we get horribly obsessed, highly obsessed, <laughs> hilariously obsessed with things that other people might find odd. Nothing is too obscure, too creepy, or too weird for us to research obsessively. I'm Heidi. And I'm Rebecca. Join us in being obsessed. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello, Rebecca. How are you tonight? I am really good. And how are you, Heidi? I'm all right. We're still doing the quarantine thing, but that's yes, fine. Yes, I think we're going to be still doing the quarantine thing for quite some time, and that's okay. We do what we have to do. Yeah, we're hanging in there. Have you seen the memes going around where it's saying, you know, um, you know, your grandfather had to go fight in the trenches. You have to sit down and watch Netflix on your fat bum to save the world. <laughs> I like this kind of sacrifice. We can do this. We can do this. <laughs> We can do this. And look, it's some for some people it's going to be a lot harder of than course. others, depending yeah. on their their situation, their responsibilities, their where they're living. But you know, hopefully we can all hang in yeah. there. Yeah. So let's take our mind off that situation. Mm. Happy to. And let's talk let's talk about a bit of art history. Always interesting. But it's not just art history, it's also true crime. Yeah. Yeah, because we're not really a true crime podcast, not are really. we? Although anything that's remotely Victorian and <laughs> we're definitely in there. Victorian and weird and, and, and strange, yeah, that's, that's what we're into. And I hadn't heard about this at all, which I feel very like I have missed something deeply well, out in my education here. It's a lovely, uh, sorry, a lovely and fascinating story. So thank you for obsessing me with this one, Heidi. That's fine. So uh, we're going to talk about one of the artists that I found most influential personally for my own mm -hmm. work, and his name is Richard Dunn. All right, so I'll set the scene. So in the Tate Britain in London, there is a painting that's popular for its captivating beauty and strangeness. The Fairy Fellas Masterstroke by Richard Dadd shows a scene of almost maddening detail and complexity. Groups of miniature denizens of the fairy realm gather in long grass and clumps of daisies to witness the fella or woodsman attempt to split apart a chestnut, his arms and axe frozen in the moment before the heavy blow. His audience, which include Oberon and Titania, fairy ladies in fine gowns, goblins, satyrs, centaurs and gnats, are watching with amusement. And on closer inspection, we can see why. Mm. The fella's axe has no blade. Mm. The painting is charming, unearthly, and there has rarely been an anthology of fairy illustrations 
in which it hasn't been included. But there is a gruesome story behind the painting and it's one of the most intriguing instances of art history converging with a true crime story. Richard Dad was born in Chatham, Kent, the fourth of nine children. His father, Robert, was a chemist and an enthusiastic fossil hunter. His mother, Mary Ann, died when Richard was just seven. By this time, Richard was considered to have a prodigious talent for drawing, and his doting father did everything he could to support his gifted son. After a failed attempt at managing his own museum, Robert Dad decided to relocate the family to London, where he started a framing and gilding business. Richard was accepted into the Royal Academy of Arts, where his charisma and vibrant personality made him the most socially influential student at the school. His particular group of friends were referred to as the clique, and they were regarded as the future leaders of the London art scene. Richard was considered by his teachers and his peers to be far and away the most outstanding talent of the academy. Yet when he graduated, he struggled to find the sort of commissions that would bring him financial security. An opportunity arrived in 1842 when the wealthy Sir Thomas Phillips decided to engage an artist to document his upcoming grand tour of Europe and the Middle East. Sir Thomas offered Richard an all-expenses-paid holiday in return for illustrations of his adventures, mm. and Richard happily accepted. The tour was physically exhausting, but Richard discovered that he had a deep love of traveling. He was particularly enchanted by the Middle East, and he filled up his sketchbooks with scenes from Turkey, Damascus, and Jerusalem. The place that captivated him above all others was Egypt, and he was overcome with inspiration, devouring everything he could in regards to ancient archaeology and iconography. However, it was here that the first particles of darkness mm. began to float around Richard's brain. The Dad family had a history of mental health problems and Richard was painfully aware of his chances of becoming a stranger to his own mind. Okay. Richard became very gloomy during a boat trip up the Nile, and Sir Thomas and the other members of the travelling party began to fear the young man's sudden personality changes and outbursts of temper. He had also developed an unsettling obsession with the ancient Egyptian god Osiris. It was in Italy that Richard began to truly feel the threads of his sanity beginning to snap. He was overwhelmed by the Christian iconography of Rome and began to feel that he was being watched by the devil. Aww. The art galleries of Florence brought no solace to Richard's troubled mind. In fact, 
he began to see satanic messages in the great masterworks. He also harbored fantasies of murdering the Pope. Sir Thomas was relieved when in Paris, Richard suddenly left the party to return home alone. His arrival in London caused concern among his family and friends, but the strangeness in his demeanour was put down to sunstroke. Richard got to work transforming his travel sketches into paintings, determined to honour his agreement with Sir Thomas. Richard disappeared into his work, becoming reclusive and moody. His father, Robert, was watching his son very carefully. Some of Richard's siblings had already started showing signs of hereditary mental health issues, and poor Robert felt overwhelmed. He consulted Dr. Alexander Sutherland, who was referred to as a mad doctor, who advised, mm. him, who advised him to send his son to a hospital. Robert was reluctant to do this and decided to take Richard on a short holiday instead. In August of 1843, father and son took a steamer to Cobham, a village in Kent. On the evening of their arrival, Richard suggested that they take a walk through the park in the moonlight. What Robert didn't know was that his son was under the delusion that the ancient Egyptian god Osiris was his real father and that he, Robert, was a demonic imposter. At some point during the walk, Richard struck his father on the head from behind, attempted to slit his throat with a razor, then stabbed him with a folding knife. After leaving his father to die alone in the park, Richard ran from the scene of the crime and boarded a pre-booked boat to France, still covered in his father's blood. His earlier purchase of a passport and ticket showed that the murder had to have been premeditated. And that part just breaks my heart. Oh, look, honestly, it, it, it's really clear that his father was very aware of the mental health proclivities in the family. There was obviously something genetic going on. Yeah. And, and he seemed to really care uh, about Richard and wanted to do something right by him. It, it's, it's really quite heartbreaking. It, it's just incredibly sad because, I mean, he looks, you know, just from, from what we have of him to have been a, an incredibly beautiful father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just unimaginable. Yeah. Well, after disembarking in Calais, Richard took a stagecoach to Lyon. While on the coach, he heard a message from the stars telling him to kill a fellow passenger to appease Osiris. Richard took out his razor, the razor that he used on his father, and oh. turned to the man closest to him. Luckily, the other passengers restrained Richard before he could do more than wound his seatmate, and the police were summoned. Richard was arrested and taken to an asylum in Claremont. There, doctors found that he had been carrying a list of people to murder. Mm. The list included his father and 
the Emperor of Austria. It took 11 months for him to be extradited to London, where he would go to trial for the murder of Robert Dadd. During the initial hearing, Richard's behaviour was so disordered that the judges decided not to take it to trial, as Richard was so clearly insane. Mm. Richard was declared a criminal lunatic, as they as they stated it back then. Yep. And placed in the Bethlehem Royal Hospital. Bethlehem, or as it is more commonly known, Bedlam, was quite a bit more progressive than other psychiatric hospitals of the Victorian era. And while it wasn't a luxury resort by any means, it wasn't the nightmare of filth and degradation often associated with asylums of that time. His brother George, who had been showing similar symptoms, joined him there soon after. While in Bedlam, Richard discovered his love of painting, and it was there that he produced his most known works, including The Fairy Fellas Masterstroke. Richard and his fellow criminal lunatics, as they were unfortunately then called, were eventually moved from Bedlam and into the brand new Broadmoor Hospital. Broadmoor now has the gruesome reputation for being home to the most notorious of serial killers, but in its early days, Broadmoor was seen as a place of higher reform in terms of healthcare and psychiatric treatment. The patients put on stage productions and their resident artist, Richard Dadd, was an enthusiastic set designer. In 1886, Richard died of tuberculosis and was buried in the Asylum Cemetery. He had spent 42 years of his life in hospital. The art of Richard Dadd fell out of fashion for many years, but was rediscovered when the poet Siegfried Sassoon donated the Fairy Fellers Masterstroke to the Tate Gallery in 1963. Sassoon, who'd fought in the First World War with three of Dad's great nephews, had received the painting as a wedding gift. In 1974, Freddie Mercury wrote a song called The Fairy Fellers Masterstroke for Queen's second album, firmly placing the painting into the realm of popular culture. Oh dear, and look, I have never seen this piece of art before This you introduced me to it. Mm. it. It is breathtakingly beautiful and intricate and the fact that there is no blade in the axe just... It's, it's <laughs> chilling, isn't it? It is, it is. And the painting actually took uh, around nine years to complete Oh, really? Yes, which isn't surprising when you look at all of that detail. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and and the more you look at the detail, the more of a reflection you see of of his mind and what he was thinking at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this fabulous, uh, very, very short uh, YouTube clip of an art historian at the Tate Gallery talking about it, and he pointed out something that I would never have seen unless it had been pointed out. 
And that was this little goblin figure um, on the ground underneath one of the ladies. Yeah. One of one of the late one of the main ladies, and he's looking up her skirts. And it's one of those naughty little details um, in the painting. But this particular art historian was saying um, that it it was kind of like Richard Dad was was not part of life anymore. He was an onlooker. And he was he was out of love and romance and courtship. And so he was this little goblin grabbing anything that he could, which is a really heartbreaking way of looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's so many layers of profundity to this. It's <laughs> and too much. And you'll notice that a lot of the little fairy people have everyday jobs you'll find mm. that there are signs and you know like there's a butcher a baker a tinker um there are all kinds of jobs and there is actually um one figure in the painting that's thought to be robert dad which one heidi uh there is an old man with a white beard the one it's funny because um i was I think I know what you're on about. And if you look at the Fibonacci uh, spiral in that painting, he's right at the centre of it. And I did actually wonder if that may have been uh, perhaps a portrayal of him. I'm looking at it right now. It's beautiful. Just, yeah, he's at the centre of a Fibonacci spiral. Wow. Wow. Yes. And it's one of those pictures, the more you look at it, the more you see. Yeah. And the more it comes to mean to you. And I discovered him because, of course, when I was growing up, I was obsessed with fairy illustrations, and that has not changed. But <laughs> my favourite, my first favourite artist was Brian Froud. And you mm-hmm. probably know Brian Froud as uh, <laughs> one of the designers of the Dark Crystal. Another obsession of ours. Yes. Yep. <laughs> And uh, Brian Froud um, is also an extraordinary painter. And um, so I was looking through um, a book of fairy illustrations that Brian Froud was was included in. And as soon as I saw the Richard Dad painting, I thought that has to have been an inspiration for Brian Froud growing up, just that detail, that intricacy, the little stories within stories, stories all over yeah. the canvas. It's just incredible. It's and to think that um, something so beautiful came out of Bedlam. Well, you know, there were quite a few insane asylums in the Victorian era which would um, uh, encourage uh, art as a means of therapy yeah and some of the art that has come out of that period from mental illness is breathtaking breathtaking and sadly probably fell into obscurity soon afterwards yeah. and and you think know. you know um what could they have done um i mean a lot of people romanticize mental illness and creativity and I 
think it's very unhealthy to do that. Um, I, think, I I agree. I think there's a misconception that um, a person who is mentally ill is more capable of producing really imaginative work, whereas yeah. I think that in reality it actually holds them back. Yeah. Have you ever seen Hannah Gadsby's, um, oh, what is it Nanette. called? Yeah. Nanette. Nanette. Oh, my God. She does a little bit of a uh, dialogue on mm. that and it is really if you get a chance to listen to it please do because she really clearly articulates that you don't have to suffer to be an artist it's it's not a a, a, like an immediate uh, right of patches as an artist and 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 actually interferes with the ability yeah yeah I mean I look at uh, somebody like Richard Dad and I think my goodness if they didn't have that terrible yeah. illness, what could they have done? Yeah, and it was quite evident by the fact that he'd been commissioned to do this kind of work and also from his studies yeah. that he was an exceptional artist and always had been. Yeah, yeah. So he, he lost decades yes. to, what to what could have been a very successful yeah. career. Yeah. And never mind the fact that, you know, he lost decades of his own life and lived basically what would have been internal agony um so i I mean i'm playing amateur psychologist here but i'm I'm imagining that he was in obviously a delusion paranoid delusion when he um yeah well i mean doctors and people who know a lot more about this stuff than i do um have have thought maybe paranoid schizophrenia um, it yeah, is, yeah. of course, very difficult for people to diagnose somebody who is dead. So, I yeah. mean, we'll never really know um, no. what happened. I think we can glean a few yeah. things, though, and that would have been that it was a horrible life for a very talented yes. man. Yes, and, and for all of his family. And, yes. and yes. his poor father, who you know, was probably struggling with some issues himself. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm very curious to know what happened to his brother, George. Uh, There's there's not a lot out there about his siblings, but um, there there was a sister who who also had to be admitted at some point as well. Oh, really? Yes, but later in life. Later in life. Wow. So... So that is the tragic the, story of Richard Dad. Do have a look at this. We will put a link up to this piece of work and there's a lovely one uh, where you can really yeah. zoom in and see every tiny intricate detail. So enjoy exploring it like I have today. Heidi, thank you for introducing me to this incredible story and beautiful research, oh, thank by you. the way. Well done. <laughs> Well, guys, um, we hope that um, your time in isolation is full of art and creativity and music or maybe just having a nap, if that's what you feel like doing. Yeah, napping's become my new hobby. I I never realised how good napping was (laughs) until this pandemic. I never realised. 
I never realised before this pandemic that you could actually nap more than once in one day, apparently. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So, guys, whatever you choose to do during this time, we wish you well. We hope that you're happy and... Yeah. We hope that you can hold it together like we're going to hold it together. We're totally we're together. together. We, I'm totally holding it together. We've got it. We've got we it, honey. We can do this. We yeah. got it. <laughs> oh, well. We will see you later, guys. Please subscribe to our channel. Leave a review. Leave some lovely stars. And we will see you next week. Bye, obsessives. Bye. See you, Heidi.